Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, a report from Moody says the municipalities in Ontario are going to have to find new ways to make up for the loss of $2 billion in funding over the next decade. Over 20 protesters showed up at Mayor Fred Eisenberger's house this morning, planting signs, screaming obscenities, and banging on the door. And how did the second Democratic debate go? Well, we'll tell you. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A report from Moody's says that municipalities in Ontario are going to have to find new ways to make up for a loss of about $2 billion in funding from the uh, provincial government over the next 10 years. Uh, joining us to talk about this, Marvin Ryder, business professor at the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Happy Canada Day weekend. Happy Canada Day to you and your listeners. Uh, listen, let's first of all maybe identify for folks who may not know, Moody's, uh, these, these are the guys... That uh, that basically do the evaluations on how government works, and this this is nonpartisan. This not unbiased. They're all they're all about numbers, are they not? Right. So Moody's is what we call a bond rating agency. It's their job to assess the credit uh, worthiness or the lack of credit worthiness of various people, and, and usually they deal with institutions. So that could be a business or it could be the government. They're the ones who say that say an Ontario bond should be AAA rated or AA plus or whatever it happens to be. And uh, as they observe the Doug Ford government, they're curious what their actions are going to do to uh, a subset of people called municipalities. So they've studied this issue. They took a look at the Doug Ford cut so far for next year, 2020. And remember that Doug Ford, he was actually going to do a number of these things in 2019. And then he got some pushback and he said, okay, but I'm giving you a warning. We're going to do them a year later. We're going to do them for the 2020 budget. They figure this is going to cost municipalities roughly $300 million. Um, Now the biggest hit will be Toronto. It's the largest municipality in Ontario probably somewhere between 140 and $180 million to Toronto's budget. A place like Hamilton, the impact of these provincial cuts would probably be closer to 25 to $30 million. Uh, when you add that all together, that's $300 million. But then they point out this is not a one-time hit to the budget. It's not like I'm saying to you, okay, next year I'm going to chop the funding, but I'm going to put it back in 2021. So when they start adding this up over a decade, this is when they start to get numbers on the order of 2 to $3 billion of money coming out of municipalities. So then the next question comes, well, how are they going to deal with this? municipalities really only have a small number of ways to deal with this. One is to go out and borrow and run their own deficits. Most municipalities don't like doing that. A second would be to raise property taxes. And of course, you know, here in Hamilton, uh, any raise, even if it is a small raise, always is met with boos and and jeers. Uh, A third would be to dip into reserves. And of course, what they discovered is there are some municipalities who could cushion the shock thanks to some very healthy reserve funds. Reserve funds are usually the accumulation of what you haven't used in previous years. You've kept for a rainy day. But again, Toronto is a great example of this. They have some of the lowest reserves in the province at this point. Uh, And so what they're trying to say to people is you may cheer Doug Ford's cuts, but be ready to face it on the other side that municipalities really don't have many ways to deal with it. This is, this is in other words, this is the, the reaction to this. I mean, you know, the, the, the government, the provincial government makes this announcement, but it, they, obviously it's going to have an impact on municipal budgets. I guess the other option that we talk about here is cut back on services. Right, and so what, what Doug Ford has suggested is that he's prepared to set aside an amount of money to help hire auditors to go through the books of municipalities to eliminate non-essential services. Uh, he he's also calls it zero-based budgeting. Start with nothing, and then let's put things in there and prioritize. 
and and he says this is what I've had to do with the provincial budget. I've had to cut non-essential things. Now I'm sure there are many people listening to us who cheer Doug Ford, and I also think there's some people who are listening to us who say everything he's cut so far is essential. It's not non-essential at all. What are you talking about? And this is the same challenge municipalities are going to have. I may look at a municipal budget and say, why are you spending? X number of dollars on parks, you know, sell some of those parks. Don't, you know, we don't need all those parks. And there'd be other people who say, no, no, we need every one of those parks. And so there's just tough, tough choices ahead, more so than normal for the Hamilton Council this later this fall and into 2020. This uh, is very reminiscent, of course, of what happened when Mike Harris uh, and Common Sense Revolution were here in this province in the, in the uh, mid-1990s. Uh, basically the same thing said, look at, and the, 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 the mantra we got from Queen's Park when we as municipalities started to complain about the impact of some of those cuts uh, was just go, f- I think it was 3%. Go find 3% savings in your budget and you'll be just fine. Uh, and, and Ford seems to be doing the same thing here, Marvin. They're treating this whole thing as a mathematical exercise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that may look good on their books, you know, and that, that's the press release, right? We're saving money. But the municipalities don't look at it as a mathematical exercise. They're saying, wait a second, these are services that we have. These are things that are going to impact people's lives. And we're going to take the heat for it if we have to eliminate those. Yeah, so here a couple of ways for people to maybe think about this. If, if Hamilton is facing 25 to $30 million less money next year, uh, that is equivalent to two and a half, three percent inflation. And Hamilton already looks at two and a half, three percent inflation because its biggest cost is wages and benefits. Those things go up year after year. So next year, it's like you're getting a double hit to this bottom line. Uh, it's great when Doug Ford says you should cut uh, inefficient things, but that would suggest that municipalities haven't been doing that. I have a, I guess, Bill, because of my own personal experiences helping to create the new city of Hamilton back in 2000, what have you, I'm familiar with this kind of an exercise. And and there really is very little fat left in these budgets, if any at all. Uh, Every year, every group of politicians are looking to what can they eliminate? What can they cut? Do we have to spend this money? Do we have to do something else? To believe that somehow there's an extra 3% that's just lying around. And unfortunately, I would describe municipalities as being at the bottom of a food chain. What I mean by that is if the federal government, and, and Doug, uh, not Doug, excuse me, oh my God, there's a Freudian slip, Andrew Shear, not Doug Shear, Andrew Shear, <laughs> uh, gets elected. You're not the first to, to yes, conflate to those made two. Those if Andrew Shear gets elected this fall, I guarantee you he's going to try to balance the federal budget, and suddenly Doug Ford is going to find himself with fewer transfer dollars from Ottawa. That's, that's always Ottawa's favorite trick. We'll just give the provinces less money. So then what do the provinces do? They give the municipalities less money, and then the municipalities oh, wait a minute, we've got nowhere to pass this to, and they're the ones who have to make the tough decisions. Uh, and therein lies the problem. And and I'm glad you brought this up as a point of reference uh, to you, your work uh, with the, the transition board when uh, Hamilton became the amalgamated city. Uh, you guys did that first budget. I mean, because the, the, the city council, of course, was, was, well, couldn't, was not able to. Uh, and then the province came around after you guys did this and said, well, you guys haven't found enough uh, e- efficiencies. You already did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you, it's like trying to get blood from a stone to say you've got to start cutting more. I, I know people don't want to, I know people don't want to hear this. There's always this feeling that the creation of Hamilton was a bad thing. But that first year of the new city of Hamilton, we actually took $50 million, $50 million out of the budget. Now, how did we do that? Well, for good or bad, it was the elimination of positions. You took six municipalities and regional governments, you made one government, and we needed fewer managers, mostly middle managers, uh, and, and there was a savings for sure. But you can't do that every year. We were able to do it because it was a one-time creation, a bringing together. Um, 
we did leave the city council some ideas, and even today there are some interesting ideas of some small things one could continue to do to, to eliminate uh, um, some of the budgetary problems. For instance, I think there are some services in Hamilton that if you thought about them creatively, you could take them out of the budget, create them as a sort of a standalone entity, and say you've got to just work on balancing your own books. Let's get that out of the tax base. But there isn't. Forty, fifty million dollars worth of those kinds of things anymore. Well, and you know what the usual uh, suspects are when these sorts of discussions come up. Uh, they're going to look at Hamilton and say, "Do you really need municipal golf courses?" Uh, and that's a question that was asked. Now, there's a resounding yes, of course, from the golfing community when you yes. do that. But that's two courses at Shadoka, and then of course uh, Kings Forest out in the east end of the city. Do you really need two long-term care facilities here? You have Macassa and Wentworth Lodge. Uh, the, apparently, we're only mandated to have one. To one. But again, those, those are tough calls. And boy, the pushback that council received when the, those were even discussed uh, was, was just overwhelming. Bill, we, we looked at Macassa and Wentworth Lodge back in 2000, and our idea then was, yes, let's get out of the business and, and let's partner with somebody in the private sector. We'll own the buildings, but we'll have somebody else run them. And who we talked about partnering was St. Joseph's Villa in Dundas yeah. and St. Peter's Hospital in Hamilton. And, and these were not strangers. These were not for-profit entities from the United States who are going to kick grandma out on the street and the pushback that we would change anything at all. I thought this was actually a really clever idea to partner with two very well-respected long-term care organizations and save something. No, 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 no. You can't do that. You can't do that at all. So again, that's the other interesting thing. If I'm saying to the city, you have to change, I can also tell you, your listeners, people in general, don't like any change whatsoever. So I, I really do feel for municipal governments, they are really the one caught in the middle on this. It is easy, relatively easy for federal government to cut transfer payments to the province. It's relatively easy for the province to cut transfer payments to the municipality. But how does the municipality balance their books? It's very, very hard. Well, and even if they do start selling off assets, for instance, as we've discussed, that's one-time savings. That's correct. What do you do the next year? What else are you going to sell? Uh, you know, once you go down that road. The other element, too, that uh, I know the province has said is, well, you can dip into reserves. Well, that's not sustainable either. No, fine for one term. So this is what Moody said, is that there are some cities who can cushion this, meaning they've got more time to fix their budgets. They can buy themselves a year by dipping into reserves. That'll cover the shortfall for that year as they work at longer-term plans. But there are other places, and Toronto is the one they really f- fingered here, to say they just don't have that even that option. They're going to have to start making significant significant cuts or changes or something almost immediately uh, because they just don't have the reserve to cushion the blow. And now, well, since we're into summertime and warm weather, uh, how do some of those cuts look? Well, in past uh, budgets, I mean, for instance, Toronto City Council's talked about closing swimming pools or reducing hours. And then you get a warm, hot day, a muggy day like we were having today. And there, there's a lot, usually a lot of those in July and August. People get outraged and they say, what are you doing this for? And he says, well, we, we, you asked us to save money. You told us to save money. Yeah. This is what that looks like. Well, uh, Bill, I, and I, again, I don't want to sound like I'm beating dead horses here, but it was, I guess, a week ago, uh, a new councillor, relatively new councillor, Danko on the mountain said, uh, hmm, maybe Hamilton can go to every other week garbage yeah. collection. Well, well, talk about kicking a hornet's nest. And yet there might be some financial savings from doing that. I think... A municipality has to go into the next budget year 
open to the possibility of change. And I think we, if we don't want to pay more taxes, and I think that's usually the sentiment, we yep. don't like paying more taxes, uh, we're going to have to be open again to some of these changes. Uh, I, I'm not saying Doug Ford is evil. Uh, he believes that the, the province needed to balance the books. He was actually elected on that. Many people felt that Kathleen Wynne, oh, she's just running those big deficits. That's not right. Well, this was the flip side of it. If you want everything to be balanced, these are the kind of choices that are going to have to be made. And this, says, as you mentioned, is going to vary from community to community. I mean, Hamilton, Toronto, Ottawa, older cities, larger cities like this, uh, have higher social service costs. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, uh, wages and benefits for st- city employees are going to be the, the driving force there. Smaller communities, not so much a lot of the time. And we found that with uh, the Harris government. I remember going to the Association of Municipalities of Ontario meeting in Toronto just after he in- instituted all this downloading stuff. And we were feeling the pinch, and so was Windsor and all these other large cities. And uh, we weren't big fans of Mike Harris. Yet when he addressed that conference, small-town Ontario, I thought this guy was uh, you know, God's gift to, to politics. Because they said, yeah, it doesn't hurt us at all. We're fine with this. Yeah, well, I, I grew up in a very small town of 5,000 people today, proudly 7,500 people. That's that town. Shows you what happens after 40 years. Uh, but uh, they uh, they really have an interesting dichotomy. They have young people up to a certain age, and then they have a lot of retirees. Most of the people who need a job can't stay in that town because there just aren't places. So then they come to cities. And, and many smaller towns uh, don't have the same social services costs because they just can't. They just can't provide those things. And so people come to the bigger cities, that's where they expect to get these services. If you're a battered woman, you're going to find your home in Hamilton. If you're an, an addict and you need treatment, it's going to be in a bigger city. It's not in a smaller town. So it, it is natural that we have more of that brunt than the small towns in Ontario. And uh, this is is really the preamble to some pretty tough discussions just about every council is going to have to make across the province now. City councils yeah. in particular. Uh, the other, By the way, I should also tell you, the other municipality that Moody's flagged as having problems dealing with this, oddly enough, wasn't Hamilton. It was Toronto and then Waterloo. Waterloo has the second lowest reserves. And let me think about that for a second. Why is that? Oh, yes, Waterloo had to take some of their reserves and put it into creating the LRT. Hamilton has had the advantage that its LRT was going to be 100% funded by the province, at least that was the promise, but Waterloo didn't. Waterloo actually had to put money in, so they did. They invested in that infrastructure, and that leaves them with very few reserves to deal with this as well. So it isn't just a Hamilton problem. You're going to hear this mantra across the province this fall, how do we balance our budget? That's the, uh, well, not so rhetorical question these days, because this is already starting to happen. Uh, Marvin, thanks as always. Great having you in here today. Glad to be here. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We have spent a lot of time over the last uh, couple of weeks now talking about the, uh, the the problems that are going on in this community right now to do with Pride Week, uh, the pushback, the incident, of course, at Gage Park, uh, the city council meeting. We've covered it all. We've given a platform, as I mentioned in my commentary today, uh, to everybody who's involved, all of the stakeholders, city councilors, uh, the chief of police, uh, the, the LGBTQ community, uh, and others, uh, so we can get a perspective on everything. And my call today in my commentary was, look, it's time for some civility, and it's time for some empathy and some compassion. And I was hoping that that would resonate with everybody involved in this. Uh, Clearly, from a story we just heard a couple of minutes ago, it hasn't. Uh, Joining us to talk about that is uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberg, who sadly uh, seems to be the latest victim in some of the stuff that's going on around here. Mr. Mayor, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, I wish it was under better circumstances. How are you and the family doing? Uh, you know, my, my uh, wife and neighbors are uh, very rattled, as you could, uh, could imagine. Uh, you know, being awakened at 7 o'clock in the morning with uh, people violently pounding on your door and uh, 
yelling, uh, yelling things and uh, making a lot of noise and racket and uh, playing music uh, on our property and other people's property is uh, very, uh, very upsetting. So they're rattled, and uh, I think it's very unfortunate. But uh, you know, we live in crazy times. Uh, it's uh, but it's unacceptable. Uh, this is uh, this is crossing a line. If people want to protest, uh, you know, they can uh, come to city hall or do what uh, do what they do in other places. But uh, going going to uh, you know, the personal property of the mayor or anyone else, I think, is uh, crossing a line. So I told the police to uh, to lay whatever charges the law allows. This uh, obviously came as a surprise, but just judging from what you've described, and I, I, I read your tweet on this a couple of minutes ago, and that's where we wanted to get you on to talk about this, Mr. Mayor. Uh, mm-hmm. This was this was organized. This was not just a, a random situation here. No, I think people actively have decided to uh, to take these actions. Uh, I, I understand that some of the same people that are in the picture were uh, the, the people that were at council the other night. Uh, we have uh, we have a video that uh, you know a brave neighbor across the street uh, took while these people were uh, were standing uh, on my property and doing whatever they were doing. Uh, they left a whole pile of signs on the uh, on the on the property, <clears throat> and we have some images of that. And yeah, it was very organized, very orchestrated. Uh, and uh, and very unfortunate. Uh, it's certainly not the kind of message that's going to win them any uh, any favors. Uh, I don't know who they are. Uh, I don't, I don't know if part of the. I mean, they were yelling things about the mayor hates queers. Uh, I I'm not going to label this in any way, shape, or form, or give them any uh, any platform. But uh, I will let the police deal with uh, you know them appropriately, whatever they're whatever they're able to do. Did you see this coming? I mean, there, there was some confrontation, sure. as we talked about at the meeting the other day, and, and uh, we've talked with some of the people on council and yourself, of course, about this, and we've talked with some of the people that were actually there uh, that particular night. Uh, I was under the impression, and maybe I was just being hopeful, uh, that, uh, that that was going to be the end of it. That was the apex of the, the confrontational aspect of this, and we could get down and start talking about things. But clearly, uh, uh, radical elements, I guess, are taking over here, and that's unfortunate, to say the least. Well, and, and you know, there as I said the other day uh, to the media, that, uh, you know, the radical elements uh, are just love uh, the, the scenario that we're in right now, where we've got uh, people accusing one another, uh, you know, that normally would be allies. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an ally. I've been actively working with the, uh, the queer trans community on a whole range of things. Uh, when Aiden Johnson was here, we worked together on advancing the cause, and, uh, and, and suddenly uh, the, the agitators have been able to, uh, to, to turn us uh, one against the other. And uh, with you know, without without a lot of help from others in terms of uh, tamping this down, and so I'm uh, I'm I'm committed to uh, continuing to follow through with dialogue. Uh, the the only way to you know sort through these problems for those that don't want to agitate is to uh, sit down and have a conversation, and, and uh, for us to collaboratively work towards stamping out this hate and this uh, this uh, level of agitation that's going on, and uh, being able to stand against it collectively rather than fighting amongst them one another. So I'm uh, I'm hopeful that happens. Uh, we'll let the police deal with uh, the the radical uh, you know responses that we're seeing uh, you know at my house or in other places. Uh, I, I imagine uh, you know that I'm hearing today that uh, they're potentially targeting other uh, other either counselors or properties. And uh, you know if they do, then I think the uh, the police will be at the ready. Uh, but uh, you know this is this is uh, this is totally unacceptable in our community. This is not a hate filled community. Uh, there are some hate-filled people that make it look that way, but this is just not the case. Uh, there is broad acceptance for uh, for the trans, queer, LGBT community. There's broad acceptance of the the Muslim inclusion, uh, and, and let me let me get beyond acceptance. Let's say inclusion 
of all of the groups, uh, the minorities that are being attacked right now is part of a fundamental and functional parts of, of our city. Hamilton is for everyone that lives here. There should be no discrimination, no hate, no, uh, no, uh, you know, antipathy and, and, and no, no, no anger and angst and uh, directed at any of these groups to cause division. Uh, we've been working on, uh, you know, tamping all of these things down, but unfortunately, there are groups out there that uh, that want to agitate and uh, want to stir the pot and want to work against the uh, the established institutions in our community. And uh, this is the kind of level of mayhem that they're prepared to create. Was there any dialogue with the people that were doing this today? No, I didn't give them the satisfaction of uh, of uh, giving a dialogue because that's <clears throat> that's exactly what they would want. They would want a confrontation, and I'm not going to give it to them. Uh, so I uh, we stayed uh, we stayed put. Uh, I took some pictures. Uh, I did call the police. Uh, the police did come after the. It was 15 minutes long, so it uh, it didn't take long for them to be there and be gone. But uh, we have, uh, you know, a, you know, a significant amount of evidence, and uh, and the police are certainly going to follow up on that, and uh, and certainly <clears throat> forewarn uh, other members of council that uh, might be targets as well. Did now, that's an interesting aspect of this, and a very troubling aspect of this too, though, Mr. Mayor. Did they make that threat when they were at, in, at your house that they may do it's this definitely- to, in other places today? Or tomorrow? No, I didn't hear that at the moment. I mean, I, I, I have to be honest with you. The, the, there was a lot of yelling and screaming going on. I'm not, I, I'm not 100% clear precisely what they were saying. I mean, the, the, the main thing that I heard from them is that Eisenberger hates queers. Uh, but beyond that, I uh, couldn't really quite make out, uh, you know, the taunts and the, the things that they were, they were throwing out. Uh, there was a lot of uh, violent pounding on the door going on. There was a lot of background music. So it was a kind of a chaotic scene for sure. But um, I don't know what they were saying, and I, and I don't know who they are. And I'm not, I'm not prepared to, you know, just because they put signs on my lawn that says Eisenberger hate queers doesn't mean that they were part of the queer community. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm now well-versed uh, well in the fact that there are groups out there pretending to be, uh, you know, part of uh, other groups that, uh, that are using it to, uh, to agitate and, uh, and create chaos. And that's unfortunate, and that's the, the challenge that the police deal with on a day-to-day basis is, uh, you know, who's doing what for whom. And, um, but we'll keep at it, and, uh, you know, I appreciate the response of the police. They've, they've uh, you know, taken thorough statements from all of our neighbors who are unfortunately quite rattled as well. So a very upsetting thing and a quiet little, uh, quiet little uh, court uh, in the east end of Hamilton to have uh, this kind of thing happen for my neighbors, and I apologize to them for that uh, unfortunate uh, circumstance for them uh, they're in they're in no way part of this at all and uh you know that shouldn't have to happen to anyone uh, let alone uh, let alone the neighbors on my street well and and one of the key elements here and I, that you just touched on is is we have to ha- have some sort of identification as to who these people are and, and i don't want to leap right now and say that you know these people are representative of the lgbtq community that that first of all there's no evidence that that's the case these might just be professional agitators and we've seen them in the past uh, when it came to some of the other confrontational and some of the other uh, very difficult decisions councils have had to make in the past. Uh, there, I mean, we saw it at the G20 in Toronto a couple of years ago. I mean, these people really go from town to town just looking to stir things up. I don't know yeah. who they were, but the, you do have video evidence, though, that uh, police, I'm, su- I'm sure, have access to. We have, I, I mean, I, I have pictures that I've shared with the police, and uh, we've looked at those pictures this morning. Some of our staff indicated that they recognized some of those faces from the council meeting the other day. 
Uh, I, I, I'm not going to label, uh, you know, what group they are. It, uh, it really doesn't matter to me at this point. Uh, you know, you're, you're standing on my property and uh, harassing me and my family and my neighbors. Uh, you know, so I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I'm, I know enough about the circumstances around all of these events that uh, there are many people pretending to be something other than they are or something that they're, they're, they're saying or, or they are. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't want to get into that. What I want to get into is that this is unacceptable. This is not the kind of behavior that we uh, should should be standing for in our communities. Uh, you know, uh, respectful dialogue and uh, exchange is the only way that uh, folks that, have, that feel aggrieved are going to get uh, you know some satisfaction and relief. And uh, you know, and that, and that's been working quite frankly for the trans queer LGBTQ community. And uh, and it will continue to work should should they be willing to uh, sit down and continue that dialogue. Uh, unfortunate turn of events, and and again, it's we're going to wait and see and get some information about what's going on, uh, Mr. Mayor. Thank you so much for this, and uh, keep us posted as to as to what goes on in the next little while as we get further information on this. Appreciate the time I, today. I, well, when I when I get a video, it's likely that we'll post it on social media as well. And uh, beyond that, happy Canada Day. Yeah, and to you and your family too. Thanks so much, Mr. Thank Mayor. Thank you very much, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberg, the victim of a, a drive-by demonstration seven o'clock this morning, banging on his house, yelling and screaming. On the, uh, it's, it's on. Look at it's unacceptable. And and I mentioned this before, and I talked about this on my commentary. It's it's posted up on, on our webpage, on our show page, uh, nine hundred chml dot com. Uh, this is not the response, and this is not the way that anything is ever going to get accomplished on either side. And, and to suggest that, well, this is what we're going to do in response. It's about time that the leaders of this community, on of all the stakeholders that are involved in this, start speaking up. Because I, I don't really want to believe that this is the kind of action that they think is going to get anything done. Anyway, we'll uh, follow up with this story and bring you updates as we find them. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Right now, we're uh, we pleased to welcome back to our studios uh, our good friend Laura Babcock, president of Power Group. Thanks for coming in today, first of all. My pleasure. Uh, I, we invited you in here today to talk about the Democratic uh, presidential debate last night, and we are going to get to that in a couple of minutes. But uh, breaking news that you heard about uh, first right here on CHML just a few minutes ago. Uh, the uh, attack, I think, is maybe the best way to describe it, on uh, Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger's uh, residence, 7 o'clock this morning. And we just heard from the mayor a few minutes ago here on this program. Uh, your response, your reaction to this? It's absolutely unacceptable. It is absolutely unacceptable to go to somebody's house. I don't care if they're a public official, how upset you are with them, how justified you feel in your political opinion about what they have or haven't been doing. You do not get to go to their house and you do not get to make them feel as though they are insecure on their own property in their own space. I mean, this part of what is so important in this discussion right now, Bill, for our city is that we respect each other and that we help each other be safe in our space. I mean, so many of us uh, who are allies and who think that the attack on the peaceful gathering of pride uh, was just absolutely outrageous and we have we are speaking up strongly in support of the LGBTQ plus community and I'm very much hoping that they were not a part of this I like that the, that Fred said he'll wait for the investigation he's not being you know reactionary and saying something or, or throwing aspersions on a group of people I think we all need to wait and find out exactly what happened with this but just as a general principle of a decent civilized society we do not do that we have our debates they can 
can be robust. They can be passionate. Hamilton is great at that, and I love that about our city. But you cannot, and you should not, whoever did this, be on the mayor's property or anybody else's. And I'm so passionate about this bill because I woke up this morning to somebody in my Twitter feed saying that Sam Marula should be hurt, right? And I had to come out right away as soon as I woke up and said, that is inappropriate. That is absolutely wrong. That is disgusting. You you apologize and you take that down. Listen, Hamilton, I'm upset. This has been a very dark chapter for our city. I'm upset with the way some councillors, including Sam Marula, behaved. I was at council chamber and I'm, I've been upset and very vocal about the fact that the mayor's communication on this has not been where it needs to be. There is work to be done. There needs to be people sitting down at the table. I'm going to be having lunch with Graham Crawford, the Citizen of the Year, who's been vocal on this as well. And you know, city leaders, allies, members from the community, we all need to work together, Bill, and people in the media to raise the level of discussion on this to a place where we can find healing, we can find real solutions, we can protect every marginalized citizen in this community. So whoever did this at the mayor's house this morning, whatever you thought you were going to accomplish, you'll get your few minutes of viral video and you'll get the media talking about it. But what you have done is put the discussion and the argument back. Now people are going to point to this and say, why talk about this? Everybody's going to be further entrenched. It makes me sad. I'm sorry I'm so passionate, Bill. Don't it makes be, me be sad. passionate. Be passionate. And, and to your point, I, I'm under the assumption that, that that's what these people wanted. They don't want to have healing. They want to have the, the insurrection. They want to have the conflict. Uh, that's what these the, the people like this are. These, these people, are, you've seen some of the pictures that have been posted. Uh, some of the neighbors of the mayor's place uh, have posted some of the pictures. Masked people. Uh, uh, you know, banging on doors, yelling and screaming, some lewd comments about the mayor himself. Uh, and to your point, you cross the line when you bring family into this. Oh. Uh, all right, if you have a problem with the way the mayor's handling this to somebody else, let's have that discussion. Uh, or the police or anybody else. But when you go to somebody's house and involve and, and threaten those members of the family, uh, first of all, it's illegal. Right. And second of all, you're doing nothing but trying to agitate and, and make matters worse. And, and I got to assume... Uh, I know many of the leaders of the LGBTQ yeah. community. I've had them on the program talking I'm about this from issue. I'm hearing now on my phone. Yeah, yeah. and uh, this is not them. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know who these people are, and I don't know if they're members. I don't know what, the, of what group they might be members of. But th- this has just made a bad situation worse. Well, and here, so here, there's a couple of problems. Obviously, this shouldn't have happened. And uh, I have been uh, trying to work with the mayor, but also critical publicly of missteps that I think that he's had on this. Um, but no matter what, to his family, to his neighborhood, I, I'm sorry this has happened to you, and it shouldn't. Uh, from a strategic, critical perspective, I do crisis management, <laughs> as you know, as a living. Yeah. When you descend to the lowest denominator, when you descend to the tactics of your opponent, right? What you do is you take away the high ground that you naturally have as the people who are being victimized, as the people, I mean, the. I hope these aren't people from any of the pride organizations. I really do. The signs clearly say that they don't think that the mayor has supports queer. So we'll find out. Um, but Absolutely. When the people showed up with the pink masks at Pride with that big black fabric to shield the hate speech that started this whole thing, um, you know, I didn't blame them for wanting to cover their faces and to try to nonviolently just block that kind of stuff. Uh, There are no two sides in this. That was absolutely wrong. It was the white supremacists, the religious extremists who showed up at that park and wanted to hurt, and they did. They hurt our city, they hurt people, and they should be held accountable, and I'm glad one of them's been arrested. 
the high ground on this. In other words, the point that every citizen who's decent in this city can agree with is that we all have the right to public assembly. We all have the right to to nonviolent congregating. We shouldn't be attacked because of who we were born as. We shouldn't be attacked, any of us, or any marginalized community. And that's not right, and the city has to work very strongly together to stop that. But when people take tactics like this, that either go on my Twitter feed and threaten a city councillor or show up at a city and politician's house and make their neighborhood feel unsafe, all they are doing is reducing this discussion. They're making it harder to heal, harder to get allies, harder to help them with what they deserve, which is a free and just society. So please, anyone who cares what I have to say, please don't engage in these tactics. They're not helping on either side of this discussion. It's not helping. Uh, but more importantly, it is not helping the city heal and find a solution so we can protect marginalized citizens. Well, it's uh, time for the leaders to lead. And uh, it's the sooner we get everybody together and start talking about this, uh, the sooner we can overcome the, this this hateful activity that's gone on. It's going to be a hot summer, and I and I hate. I just one last point on this. It didn't have to be this way. If council had of. Um, restrained itself from some of the provocation that went on the other night in what I think was the worst council meeting in 20 years of observing it for Cable 14 The O Show and for you, I find that there was a moment there where they could have taken a better road as council. Some tried. Some tried, and I applaud Narinder and Maureen and John Paul Danko and and Arlene and others who tried. Uh, But the comments and the laughter and the baiting of some of the very upset a marginalized community that were in that council chamber was absolutely unacceptable by our civic leaders. And I knew sitting there that this was going to happen. This was going to make the whole thing worse uh, in many different ways. And so I hope whatever thrill they got out of, you know, that little power move, I hope they realize the damage that this is causing our city. It was shameful. And going forward, everybody, please take a deep breath, please. And let's work together on making this city safe for everyone. For everyone. Uh, more to come on this, obviously, uh, ahead. And uh, I, I, d- I appreciate your passion on this, Laura. I mean, this for those of us that born and live and raise our families in this community. My kids are in the studio with us right yeah. now, Bill. <laughs> you know, I'm speaking for the children of Hamilton. They're watching this happen. And they they have no no uh, feelings of any kind of ill will. or they, they, They're not in any way thinking less of marginalized people in our community. They don't understand why the people at Pride were attacked. They fundamentally don't get it. And they don't understand why our city leaders are not showing the kind of compassion and solidarity with that community that they need to. And I hate that they're having to hear this. I wanted them to hear about a good, robust debate that we all watched last night in the U.S. and and policy. I didn't want them to have to hear their mom you know, uh, telling my city to please take a breath and let's be kinder to each other. I mean, we're showing the children, our next generation people, We everyone take a breath, please. Well, let's uh, turn the page, for the time being anyway, and, uh, and move on to uh, what happened last night, of course, uh, in Miami. It was the second of the uh, Democratic presidential candidates' debates, uh, another 10 people on the stage. Uh, this was billed as Biden versus Bernie, uh, because they are the two front runners at this stage. Um, they did not, the, the, the two stars, I thought, last night were the two people that, that a lot of people least expected to actually show. Kamala Harris, I thought, won. Mayor Pete, I thought, did an outstanding job, too, given some of the circumstances that, that he's had to face over the last little while. What how, what did you read into it? Well, the the they were, Bernie uh, was absolutely eclipsed. His uh, rhetoric and his shtick that he's done successfully for so long 
has ceased to be effective when you've got superstars like Kamala and Mayor Pete on that stage. Uh, he just didn't seem to answer the questions uh, in anything that was fresh or even relevant. He put out some things that were a little confusing, and he just was not important to the conversation the way that he would have been if you didn't have Kamala Harris m- not only bringing one-liners, but bringing the best storytelling I've seen since Clinton said, ma'am, I feel your pain. You know, she was incredibly engaging, very, very smart. Uh, and when you're next to somebody like that, you could even see his face at times when she was speaking, realizing that, whoa, you know, there's somebody winning this right in front of all of us. So Bernie just, I thought, uh, was, a, was a really bad moment for him last night. Biden, the the problem with Biden is that even though I thought that the ageist comments coming from one of the people on the dais were totally inappropriate and, and very low class, there were moments when Biden seemed to not be able to finish his point, to find the two or three points he said he was going to delineate. Mm. There were moments where he didn't seem to have a grasp on policy. And when you've got, again, Kamala Harris, who's a brilliant prosecutor, we all know that, and Mayor Pete, who's a Rhodes Scholar and a phenomenal communicator, he kept going up into the meta level. He introduced concepts that we kept wanting to rewind and and reflect on, like the glide path to a single-payer environment and things. So when you're in between two rising superstars who are incredible communicators, you know, you cannot be kind of half on your game. You know, if Biden had been on last night's stage, Warren still might have eclipsed him a little bit, but he would have not had nearly the kind of competition he had on the A stage last night. So Biden now people are questioning if he couldn't have the energy on that stage if he couldn't be as quick as Kamala and Mayor Pete uh, is there really has his time passed and the unfortunate moment was when he realized he was going down a rabbit hole and it was going to get him in trouble he said oh my my time's passed for him to have articulated that on the stage not only shows that he's lost the fight of the guy who would never give up his time uh, and also uh, it's a quotable right so it was a bad night for Bernie and Biden and tremendous night for Kamala especially well in this age of uh, multimedia, social media as well. Uh, I mean, you you want to make your points. You want to get it across. Uh, Kamala Harris did not spend her time trying to introduce herself to, to Americans. She figures, you know me. You know, she's mm-hmm. got a reputation. She's a former Attorney General of California, Senator. And we saw her in action, Laura, mm-hmm. during the, the Senate investigations, of course. Uh, she was grilling the high and the mighty, and she was not intimidated by anybody. Well, we, they even called it the, the bar and grill when she grilled the Attorney yeah. General Bill Barr because yeah. she was so fantastic at it. So the question for Kamala coming in, because she's always been, she's been in the middle of the pack. She had, I think, the best opening uh, in terms of rally of any of them. So she clearly has the chops and the charisma and we know that she's Right. But the question for her was she's been in the middle of the pack because, you know, we, we need to beat Trump. Most people feel that way in the Democratic base and uh, I think around the world. So who can possibly beat him? The polls all say Biden. He's the Joe, you know, he's a nice guy. And the Obama years are something that I think the world wants to hearken back to. Right. There's a nostalgic quality there. And he's a good guy. Uh, he's made some mistakes in policy in the last seven, 30 years. But who hasn't? Right. That's a long record to have to defend. Um, so he was coming in and a lot of people wanted him to do really well. And people thought, OK, well, who'll be on the ticket? A Kamala Biden or Biden Kamala ticket has been put around for months now. Um, But what she did last night was she moved from the middle of the pack. She's now top three. You know, she might be up there with Biden and Warren and after Warren's performance. 
but I, I, she Bernie's faded. Yeah, I think Bernie's a, faded. Anybody that supported Bernie four years ago, I think most of them are looking at Elizabeth Warren now. Sure, if, if that's, that's your right. politics. That's right. And so, you know, Kamala Harris had a joke last night when she was doing the post interviews, equally brilliantly as she did her stage uh, debate, where she was basically saying, "When the the president uh, picks her running mate or whatever, yeah. right? So it could be Biden or Kamala at the top of the ticket, uh, uh, or it could also be Warren. But the point here is that this was a game changer. It moved Kamala to be the one who people looked at and said, if you can drop the best one-liners, and there were three amazing one-liners, you can do the best attack on not only the front runner, but how we think you would attack Trump uh, if he was ever foolish enough to get on the stage with her. Uh, But also, she was communicating on a level of passion that um, you couldn't help but be drawn on every word. And that is a trifecta of abilities. And that's the kind of thing that Obama possessed, that Bill Clinton possessed, Judge is not quite at her level yet, but he certainly has aspects of that. Uh, she can go all the way. And I think last night, Democrats who were looking to whittle down their choices thought, oh, I'd like to put my money behind her. I think we've got a winner here. Got a, about a minute or so left here. Um, there's always takeaway moments to say, okay, what what's, what's the burning impression? I, I thought it was the confrontation with her and Biden uh, about about his comments. Mm-hmm. About the segregationists. I mean, that was that, those were not one-liners. That was not scripted. That was passion. And the thing with Kamala is that she had already gotten some blowback for being critical of the frontrunner of Biden on a race issue because clearly he's not a racist and he has made some decisions at different times that he has to answer to. But when she made a comment on the trail when the story first broke about his comments at last week, she got some pushback of why are you ganging up on him? He's obviously a good guy. So for her to go back into that water last night, had to come from a place of absolute, absolute passion and experience. And when she said, I was the girl on that bus and you hurt me with your comments, Biden had no response to that. He should have been better prepared because they should have anticipated that she'd have the courage to go where she went. But it was a moment of history in terms of race relations in America, that discussion last night. And people will be watching that and talking about that for a very long time. And she did it very well. Laura Babcock, president of uh, Power Group, uh, on a very busy, very hectic, and in some ways very troubling day. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.